The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. And so I'm going to sit and share with you some thoughts this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If you'll take your Bibles and turn there with me. Paul is addressing an issue that was in this local church. And as we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, we realize Corinth was a pretty messed up place, right? I mean, the body of Christ there was really what I long to see ours become, where people are saved out of all kinds of stuff, bondages that uh, just held them captive for years, and all of a sudden their lives are liberated and they're transformed by the work of Christ, and they're coming in, and they're coming into the church body, and they're messed up, and they're messing everything else up here. Are you looking forward to those days? Hey, some of you say that with reservation, but really that's what it should be happening, right? And so Paul's addressing a very specific thing to this local church that when we read this, we might ask the question, well, what does that have to do with us? Because Paul is talking about meat that has been sacrificed to idols or other gods, and there were some in the church that had no problem with eating meat that had been sacrificed to gods that are now believers because they had come to the knowledge that really there are no other gods. There's only one God. And so the common sense was, look, the rationale was if there are no gods and they really don't exist, there's only one true God, then me eating meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, it doesn't mean anything because there really are no other gods. But there were others in the body that had come out of that lifestyle where they had worshipped idols, and they had worshipped other gods, and behind those were really demonic forces, and so they had not grown to the place in their Christian life yet that they could eat meat sacrificed to idols, and it really bothered their conscience, because they were afraid that if they participated in eating meat sacrificed to idols, they may be drawn back into their lifestyle that Jesus had rescued them out of. And so we can put that in our culture today because we're saved from different backgrounds and different vices and different things, and it applies in our lives. So we're going to look today more at principles using the example that Paul writes about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, I entitled the message this morning, uh, The Right Use of Rights. And really, what we're talking about is not rights that we would tend to think of as human rights or rights that we have afforded to us by our Constitution, but it really has to do with freedoms that we have in Christ. I want to remind us what Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, For freedom Christ has set you free. Therefore, don't be ensnared to these other things. For freedom Christ has set you free. But to balance that, Paul also wrote that, listen, we, because we have freedoms in Christ, we are free to do some things that we might consider greater. The Bible doesn't specifically address He says, don't let your freedom in Christ become a license to sin. And so we see this balance, this continuum here that as we live out our lives as followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, we have to have balance in these areas. Now, when the world talks about rights, the world that's out there, the the system of the world, in our culture in particular, 
it usually has at the center of their perspective of rights or what privileges and what liberties do I have as an individual. We recognize and notice that we live in a very individualistic culture, right? I mean, the commercials, you deserve a break today. Uh, don't you hate to see the commercials when they're trying to sell you something and the, the moderator will say, you deserve this. So get out your credit card and go into bondage of debt so you can get what you deserve. And we, we live in that culture. And typically our decisions are made oftentimes as to what revolves around us or our self-expression or our self-actualization. And I find that oftentimes the question that's asked many times by believers when it deals with freedoms in Christ is not the question, should I or ought to, but the question oftentimes is, can I? If you come to me with the question and you say, J-Mo, as a Christian, can I? I'm going to tell you, you're asking the wrong question. You see, the question for us should be, should I or ought I? Let me give you some examples. The question might be, can I purchase so-and-so? Well, I don't know. Can you? The question really should be, should I purchase so-and-so? J-Mo, can I go and see this movie? Well, the question is not, can you? The question is, should you go and see it? You follow what I'm saying? So the question for us as Christians, as Christ followers, should be, should I, not can I? And there in the church in Corinth, just like it is in our culture today and, and really within our body even here, there were kind of two mindsets among these early Christians. You see, there were those that we might tag or, or call the progressives. They, they, they had more of an idea or the idea of asking the question, what personal freedoms do I have now as a Christian if Christ has indeed set me free and I have freedoms in Christ? Then, then to what extent can I take these personal freedoms that I have? The other wing of the church, if I can use that phrase, were those that were more conservative. And their questions usually had to do with personal morality. In other words, is it moral? Is it morally right? Or is it morally perceived to be okay by those around me? And their lives seem to be governed more by what the perception of their life being moral was rather than should or shouldn't they. Now, either one of these mindsets taken to the extreme brings about a problem. You see, for the one who had the progressive mindset of personal freedom, they tended to take that mindset to the extreme and exercise their personal freedom where they went into licentiousness and what was intended to be a freedom for them actually brought them back into a bondage to sin. You get the picture? Now, the others, the conservatives that had more concern about their personal morality, their personal morality tended to take them on the area of legalism. And to define legalism, it would be defined this way. 
Legalism would be that if I have a conviction that I have a freedom to do or I am not free to do something that's not explicitly addressed in Scripture, then I impose that limitation on you and say, you should live by my conviction. That's legalism. And the Bible forbids that. And so either one of these perspectives can take us to extremes and we're not living the Christian life as God has intended us to live the Christian life in our freedom in Christ. Let's look at verses 1 to 4 to see what Paul is talking about here. Now Paul begins to answer some questions that they had written to Paul that we learn of there was a letter that they had written to Paul and now Paul's beginning to address some of their questions and concerns within the body of Christ. And they begin, Paul begins by writing and saying, Now concerning food that's been offered to idols. Now we know that all of us possess knowledge. Notice there's quotation marks there. And evidently these Corinthians had written this letter to Paul and said, Hey, we've now attained this particular knowledge about this certain area. And Paul says all of us possess knowledge, but this knowledge, quotation mark, puffs up. Then he goes on to say, but love builds up. Follow me in verse 2. He says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. In other words, if you think you've attained a certain knowledge about God, let me write it in small letters below. You ain't arrived yet. I learned a long time ago, I don't know what I don't know. Does that make sense? And so there were these Corinthians that had gained this knowledge of God, specifically that these other idols and gods that they used to worship really aren't gods or idols or real at all. And so I can eat meat sacrificed to animals because there really are no other gods. And I've attained this spiritual knowledge, therefore I'm going to go. And at liberty I've made the decision that I can eat meat sacrificed to idols. But Paul begins to introduce to us what the main concern is. The main concern is not whether or not I have the liberty to do or I'm restricted not to do. The main concern is love for others. You see, freedoms or rights always have a bend of love towards the whole. Now, the problem we have in our culture, and it infects our church, not just this church, but it infects the church, is that the culture tells us that we can do anything we want to do. As long as we're not hurting somebody else, it's okay. But what Paul wants to tell us and remind us is, listen, we live in a community in the body of Christ unlike the world. You see, God has called us as a bride. God has called us as a family, and God desires for us to have community. So whether we like it or not, all of our business affects somebody else in the community that we're a part of. And Paul says the chief end in this has to be love for others in the body. Putting my own freedoms, my own rights aside for the sake of the whole. He says in verse 3, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now read that again. If anyone loves God, 
You might expect Paul to say, then God loves him. But Paul says, if anyone loves God, then he is known by God. Now that, that phrase is packed. We don't know God yet if he has first not initiated a knowledge of himself to us. The greater thing is not that I know certain things about God or I've achieved some theological level of understanding. The grander thing is that God knows me. And you know what I love about this? God knows me and He knows me. You understand what I'm saying? He really knows me. He really knows you. And He knows you and He knows me and yet He still what? Loves me. That blows me away. If you knew me like I know me, some of you have probably seen some of that already. It amazes you that God loves me. And from what I've seen in some of you, guess what? It amazes me that God loves you too. In other words, it's not what we know about God. It's that God has chosen to know us. Now, let's go see what it says in verse 4. He says, therefore, in light of all of that, as to eating of food offered to idols... We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one God. Paul is really commending them for the knowledge that they've attained. He's not chiding them. He's not saying, hey, you should not eat meat sacrificed to idols. But he's bringing home the point that it's not about you. It's about the body. We see this unfold. He says in verse 5 here, He says, for although there may be many so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there's one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom all things we exist. And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. And what Paul is beginning to point out to these believers Is number one, on a sidebar, this is a great support for the deity of Christ, that Jesus is in fact God, because Paul's putting him right there with the Father. But the other thing he's introducing to us is the unity that is between the Father and the Son. And we might add to this the Holy Spirit. And what it's pointing us to is the body of Christ. We don't exist on an island by ourselves, but we are called as one body to one another, and we belong to each other as the body of Christ. I didn't hear many amens on that. You see, our culture doesn't like that. We come out of a culture that doesn't like that. We say, look, it's my business. I like to ring the songs of Hank Williams Jr. and his song, if you mind your own business, you won't be minding mine, right? Listen, as a body of Christ, we got to exist. We don't, we got to understand, we don't exist for ourselves. Jesus did not die for the individual. Oh, somebody says, wait a minute, your theological alarm. Yeah, he did die for you and me. But Jesus died for his bride. You see the point? And so he's beginning to introduce that to us. Paul would later in verse 23 of chapter 10 say this, quoting them where they had written to him, and they they said, Paul, all things are lawful. But then Paul adds to it, and he says, yes, all things are lawful. 
Those gray areas that you have questions about, that I have questions about, they're lawful. But Paul goes on to say, but not all things are helpful. It's lawful for me to eat fried chicken every day of the week. Amen? But we know that's not helpful. Now you can put into that anything you want. So all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And then he says, quoting them again, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. Now what's he talking about? He says, yes, all things are lawful. And now he's bringing into the picture of the body of Christ. But not everything that we know is lawful builds up the body of Christ. So again, the most important thing is not me. The most important thing is the body of Christ. We think about the body of Christ, and Tim Kimmel put it this way, that the local church is made up of many little churches. And the little churches that Tim Kimmel was referring to was the family unit. And so what may be lawful for me when I take it to its lowest common denominator is my family, my unit, but it may not be good to build up my family. It may not be good, even though it's lawful, it may not be good in building up the small group that I'm a part of, that I do life with. It may be lawful, but it's not good for building up the church as a whole. So you get Paul's point here. When one fully, truly understands the gospel, and they've come to Christ and by God's grace, He has transformed their life, and it begins on the inside. And yes, there still may be things on the outside that are practices that that we know that are sinful and displeasing to God. The beautiful thing is, is that we have freedom in Christ, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit now that we are able to be broken free from these things. And we understand that the gospel, living the gospel life, is not about living a, a, a list of do's and a list of don'ts. It's easier to follow the law than it is to live and walk by grace. Y'all find that in your Christian experience? I mean, give me a list, okay? I like lists. I make them every day. And I like checking them off. But I found earlier in my Christian life, when I tried to live my Christian life by lists, And what I had done was taken my Christian life and I was supposed to experience freedom and the grace of Christ being led by the Holy Spirit and I made a list of rules and don'ts and I found that I was living a moralistic and rigid life and I failed miserably. I couldn't do it. And half of those things that I put on the standard of lists were not things that I saw that God might expect me to live by. They were things that I thought other people might want me to live by instead of what God had to say. Some of you are still living your life that way. See, when I came to know Christ, I, I realized that the things that brought me great joy and satisfaction that really I was in bondage to really turned out to be just like these idols and these gods that these Corinthians were worshiping, that in the end, if I'm looking for those things to try to fulfill and satisfy my life, they are lifeless and they never can fulfill them. Let me give you some examples. When I came to know Christ, I loved Merle Haggard. (laughs) That didn't go over well in this audience. I loved Leonard Skinner. 
That goes over a little bit better. And I loved Almond Brothers. Now, this would be a cardinal sin to some of you. But I took every one of those vinyl records that I had when I came to know Christ, my wife and I did, and we destroyed or got rid of every single one of them. Why? Well, part of it was for me because of the lifestyle that I came out of, and she was a lot worse than I was. Because every time I heard a Merle Haggard song, I wanted a long neck Budweiser and a doobie in this hand because that's what I loved doing. And it was necessary in my life at that time to get myself as far away from that as I could because I was concerned that that would draw me back in the lifestyle that Jesus had set me free from. Do you understand? Now, 30-something years later, you might hear me rocking down the road to some Leonard Skinner. Amen. Now, some of the content is not edifying, so I don't listen to some of those. But do you see the trap that I was in at that time? Some of you are still living your Christian life that way. And that's not what God intends. There's freedom that we have in Christ. When I was first saved, I, 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 was, I, was, I was ashamed of... Now, I'm, I'm really exposing some stuff this morning. Do y'all love me? Okay. Um, I had a tattoo on my left shoulder. And when I first got saved, man, I wanted to cover that tattoo up. Now, that's not an issue today. Everybody gets a tattoo, right? Not everybody. But specifically, it was a $55 tattoo that I purchased in Seattle, Washington, and I was as sober as a cab. But it was a Schlitz malt liquor bull tattoo. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. Kids, your first line of questioning is, is it okay with mom and dad? So don't, don't, don't lay this off on Pastor Jamie. You see, I, I was governing my Christian life on things that really didn't matter. Paul said this. Paul said, listen, the, the kingdom of God is not about food and drink. But the kingdom of God is about love, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. And Paul is, is expressing to us, listen, those things that are questionable things, mom and dad may not like it. And never forget the first time my son came home with tattoos. I thought they were cool. <laughs> Sandy didn't like them because one of them is a big heart that says mom. <laughs> you see, my concern is not, not necessarily why or, or, or what it is, but the concern is what's driving to that. In other words, is there some identity that we're trying to live up to that is never going to be fulfilled in those types of external things. It may get us recognition from our peers, but it is never going to measure up to the joy and the peace and the righteousness that we have in Christ when we live our lives daily and experience to Him. Does that make sense? 
You see, that's the greater concern. That's the greater question. And the question is not, can I? The question is, should I? Now, let's move on to the second thing. As he, as he begins to unfold here, the aim of our rights as believers. Beginning in verses 7 through verse 12, Paul writes and he says, However, in other words, it's almost like a but in Scripture, However, not all possess this knowledge. In other words, all of these believers in Corinth have not come to the place that they feel as though they are free to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Because in their mind, these gods still exist. But some, through their former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. In other words, they're afraid to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Because if they do, they will have a temptation and they want to go back to some of the other things that went on in the temples where they ate meat sacrificed to idols, prostitution and having sex with prostitutes, to mention one of those. And so they, they're like, listen, I'm going to stay as far away from that as I can because I do not to want to go back to the bondage that I was delivered from. Now, Paul uses a phrase here that they're weak in conscience. It doesn't mean that they're less than. Their, their conscience convicts them. They just can't do that. They don't want to go there. And so Paul is writing to them and saying, listen, understand that, that they're in this place. Food will not commend us to God. He says in verse 8, we are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. In other words, it's not about what goes in the man's mouth that makes him unclean, but what comes out of his heart. If I abstain from certain foods, Paul is saying, it doesn't commend me to God anymore. And if I participate in them, it doesn't commit. It's not about that. It's a heart issue. It's a relational issue. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And so what Paul would say to us today is that whatever it is that you have a freedom of, that your conscience doesn't condemn you, exercise that, that's okay. But bear in mind, you have an impact in the community of the body of Christ. And it may cause one to stumble. It may cause one to be led back into a lifestyle that they've been set free from. Verse 10, For if anyone sees that you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. And man, this is a mind blower. He says, listen, not only are you sinning against your brother, but you're sinning against Christ. That's what he says here. Lastly, if we're understanding what Paul is saying here, in other words, there, there's freedom, and, and it's up to conscience, our conscience between us and God, as to what we can and cannot do. Then, then how are we to balance this out? How are we to, to realign 
our rights. In other words, how are we to exercise our rights properly, not be held in bondage to legalism, but yet at the same time realize that we, we have freedoms in Christ? How do we take these freedoms and we make sure that there's a bend towards love and a consideration of the rest of the body of Christ? How do I take these freedoms and and not indulge in them just because I have something that I want to say, yeah, this is mine and I can do it and it doesn't matter to anybody else? Well, the answer is in verse 13. Paul writes and he says, Therefore, if any food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, I have the right to do this. I have the freedom to do this. A thought came to me as I was studying this. I wonder how Paul dealt with the eating of pork. <laughs> there are a lot of questions that come about. Paul dealt with, dealt with the same thing we deal with in our culture. And what I'm trying to pose to us this morning is there's an honest answer in Scripture, and we need to look at Scripture to come to honest answers rather than our preconceived ideas or things that have been told to us all of our lives that just don't line up with Scripture. Paul's saying, listen, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest my brother stumble. The primary example of this, I think, is the person of Jesus. You realize there was never a person, a human being, although Jesus being fully God, he was fully man, There's never been a human that has had as many rights as Jesus had, being God. What does Paul tell us in Philippians 3? Though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be held onto or grasped. But he willingly laid aside his rights of deity for who? For the whole. And so that being our example, if we're disciples of Jesus, we want our mindset to be, listen, I have no right that I can rightfully hold on to that might damage the whole. How do we apply this? So in the only passage that Paul writes about this particular topic, he writes in chapter 14 of Romans, and so I thought I would just take Romans chapter 14 and draw for us five applications that you might want to write down on this. How do we exercise our rights and freedoms in Christ, yet consider the whole? Number one is this, and we find this in verse 1 of chapter 14. To paraphrase what Paul says, Paul says, don't quarrel over opinions. Um, did anybody read the article this week? Um, He's a televangelist out of New Orleans. I think his name is Jesse Duplantis. And, and Jesse has decided that God has told him to raise, I think, $53 million for a third jet so that he can more expediently get the gospel around the world. Well, how many of you know the media really picked up on that? And And... I looked at it and I thought, you know what? Well, I might not do that. 
He can do whatever he wants to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, we would criticize a televangelist for raising 43 or $53 million to buy a jet. Now, let me tell you this. I'm not sending him any money. Amen? He can do what he wants. He stands or falls before his maker himself. And I'm not going to argue with him whether or not he should spend $53 million for a jet. Let me bring it down to where it meets us. Because none of us can afford a $53 million jet. If you can, please give me your name and number. No, it's just easy. I have heard Christians criticize other Christians for buying high-end luxury automobiles. Well, you know, a Christian shouldn't drive that kind of car. A Christian shouldn't go to Disney World because, you know, they support things that... You, you follow what I'm saying? And they get in arguments over these things. And Paul's saying, listen, don't quarrel about these things where there's freedom. It only divides the body of Christ. The second application would be this. We find it in verses 3 and 4. Don't despise or judge the weaker or stronger. Listen. If you have a conviction that's not directly prohibited in Scripture, that you believe that's okay for you, I'm not going to judge you. I used to. As a matter of fact, I used to judge you if you drove a BMW. (laughs) Doesn't that sound ridiculous? I hate even saying that now. You see, I'm not going to judge you, nor should you judge me in, in what our freedoms might be in Christ. Can I hear an amen on that? Never mind, you're agreeing with Paul. Paul said this. Don't despise or judge the weaker or stronger. Number three is this, it's in verses 5 to 9. He says, in these matters, you make the decision between you and the Lord. Now, it's probably wise to get input, to get counsel from other believers that are walking with the Lord and in His Word. But it says at the end of the day, you make the this is between you and the Lord. And you make that decision there. Number four, verse 19, pursue what makes for peace and mutual building up. In other words, don't ask the can question, ask the should question. Is it going to mutually build up and edify the faith? The last one is this. Where you've come to a conviction, I think this is wise counsel. Paul gives in verse 22, he says, The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Let me put it in today's terms. Don't go blasting it out there on social media. (laughs) Why? Because you have a concern for others, and while they may not have that freedom that is between you and the Lord, keep it there, and don't go bragging about it. You see, that's what the progressives were doing. Remember, knowledge puffs up, but love does what? Builds up. And so these are some applications we can use. You can read Romans chapter 14 later and see those in our lives. I I think one of the greatest things that God has given to us in the body of Christ 
as a safeguard in this area is the body of Christ, to be in community with one another. That's why I would encourage you, man, if, if, if you've never been discipled and you need somebody to walk with you and disciple you, we have, we have those here that are willing to do that, want to do that. If you're not in a small group, man, get plugged into a small group. Get plugged into community. God's designed it that way for us. And while, yes, it's important to come to corporate worship, and I encourage you to be here every week. Why? Because you make a difference when you're here than when you don't, when you're not. Take advantage of the gift that God has given to us in the body of Christ so we might have community so we can love one another and build one another up. Because there is an enemy that's out there seeking whom he may devour. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.